You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. All right, welcome to episode 102. 102. We are still going strong. Uh, my name is Andrew, and with me as always is Corland. Hello, hello. And with us always is Cameron. Mostly here. Good morning, everyone. Mostly. <laughs> like your brain is mostly here. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's early. Well, thanks for tuning in, and especially if you're new to the podcast, uh, we do this every week and talk about either different questions that come in that people send us, uh, or we've started you know, taking turns picking uh, a topic or a question that we've been kind of wrestling through. So Cameron came with a couple of questions, so we're going to just let you start with one or both. or Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I could lay them out and... And then we can just tackle the first one. So sure. I had a friend visiting from the Lower Mainland for the last little bit and uh, came to church on Sunday. And he's a church goer in the Lower Mainland and has been for as long as I've known him, but not at an NB church. His uh, church is a non-denominational. We had some fun with that. But he, um, he knew when I lived in Abbotsford that I went to uh, an NB church there. So we had talked a little bit about um, the conference and, and, of course, Abbotsford being like Mecca for the MB. Oh, totally. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> you know, Columbia Bible College, he lives close by there, so he, he obviously knows about it. So his questions were, how does our faith community fully align with the Mennonite Confession of Faith? Or what, you know, he asked, what degree of black belt do, you, do these churches like? <laughs> is there a difference? And I think it's a good question because... Um, in our region of the province, there's also the word Mennonite tossed around in a few oh, different spaces. Yep. And yep. so, pretty fair question. Where is we as North Peace Mennonite Church yep. align with the Mennonite Confession of Faith provincially, nationally? That's the first question. And, and is there some autonomy in, in the way that we view Scripture and um, the way we live our lives? Do we have autonomy based on other MB churches and still get to be called MB? Yeah. Question one. Question two is, of course, <laughs> with the bulletins, he was asking about the elder model. Um, how does it work? What's its purpose? Is it still important? Because, again, in his faith uh, tradition, it's a mixed bag of uh, church leadership. The yep. board is almost, in, he, in his own perspective, the board is people that are rich enough to contribute. <laughs> and the pastoral staff ask him to come on board because they think they're going to lead him into some sort of financial yep. success. Totally. Great wisdom. <clears throat> so he, he kind of jested about you know some pastor board or elder boards or leadership boards in the lower mainland being just that like kind of handpicked and what does that really mean yep totally so kind of two thoughts that we can jump right into yeah that's awesome and i've had those questions lots basically any time i've done a membership class um those questions come up about like okay you know we're mennonite brethren and what does that mean what did we believe how closely tied are we to the bubble? So it's I'm, good. I'm not a Mennonite. How can I still? Well, yeah, I've actually had that question. Mm -hmm. Like, no joke. It was like, well, I'm not from like a Mennonite family. Can I still yep. come here? Because yep. when you read like North Peace Mennonite Brethren Church, it can be like, huh, what? Mm -hmm. And you're right. The confusion is like, oh, are you guys related to like the Presbyterian Mennonite? Like, mm -hmm. or yeah, do I wear a head covering when I co like? Legitimately, people have asked me those questions sure. before. Yeah. So uh, we're going to let Corland handle this one because he's the expert on uh, <laughs> what he said this morning. He's like, I'm not going to say much. <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, when my buddy Mike and I, who I think you both met, we were just yeah. kind of laughing back and forth. And it's like, I wonder at what point in church history did we put another layer between Christ seekers and and Jesus? Like in that, well, no one's hardly anyone's Jewish, <laughs> yet we're studying and we're following this Jewish man who is the savior, but we're not a part of that culture and we have no problems with it, but we still ask questions like, can I, what, what is a Lutheran? What is a Presbyterian? Yeah, totally. What is a, yeah. so we've almost put this another degree yep. between a genuine Christ seeker and Christ. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. to start, I guess there is some connection between, you know, the other Mennonite communities around us. So we're all, we would all come from the Anabaptist movement after the Reformation and the whole Anabaptist movement in Germany and, you know, Europe, that part of the world, was um, uh, they wanted to be rebaptized as adults. So back 
or, and I guess still denominations today, and it was mm-hmm. part of, but back then it was kind of like we baptize babies because then they're a part of our church and our church numbers are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, then there were some people who were super convicted and they said, uh, me being a baptized as a baby means nothing because I had no choice in yeah. declaring my allegiance to Jesus. And the church actually said, no, it's illegal for you to be rebaptized as a, as an adult. And like people were actually put to death um, and they were called rebaptizers and they would do it in secret. They would come and baptize people as adults. Like, can you imagine being like, hey, come over to my bathtub, bathtub, because if the elders at the church find out that we're rebaptizing you, they'll kill us. Like, that's insane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so the whole Anabaptist movement, uh, we as Mennonite brethren are connected to that. And then a uh, second part that they were really passionate about was uh, not going to war. So they actually uh, were like, no, we think uh, it's not right for us to kill other human beings. And there's difference. We won't go into all the history, but basically some were like, uh, we'll be medics. We'll provide help. If you've seen Hacksaw Ridge, right? Mm, there was yeah. the guy who's like, I can't hold a gun. I can't shoot a gun. Yeah. But I'll be a medic and blah, blah, blah. And then others were like, no, we're going to actually flee because we don't want any part to do with yeah. any kind of war. And then, you know, we come over to North America and we settle all these communities. And then, of course, because we're humans, then all these other denominations split because mm-hmm. we argue over different things. But anyways, that's like a 45-second really yeah, quick history. Yeah. We're a part of that whole Anabaptist movement. Um, but our Mennonite uh, conference, like, so I have, I'm holding our little green pamphlet, Confession of Faith of the U.S. and Canadian Conferences of the Mennonite Brethren Churches. So what some people don't know is we're actually not a denomination um, in the way that, you know, the Lutheran church is a denomination or the Anglican or the Presbyterian. Um, we are a conference of churches that have agreed to work together and agreed to the same confession of faith. Um, why do you think that matters, Corland? <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, it's actually a really good question because this is something I, I feel like it's like as as we were starting to record my brain kept thinking about how this is kind of, it feels to me like it's kind of like US and Canadian politics how like the amount of times that somebody will be talking about them and be like wait they're not the exact same we don't operate under the same structure uh not saying that denomination and conferences act like Canadian or US yeah. government i just mean the fact that like we kind of view them as the same thing and operate the same way uh but they don't so I actually am only learning about this recently. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not even kidding. I just always thought that the North Peace MB was a part of the Mennonite Brethren denomination just yeah. because it's a um <clears throat> the way my brain would have looked at it is a sect of church. It was just like it's that little offshoot, right? So there's yeah. got to be a bigger branch somewhere that's connecting us. Um but to my understanding, a conference is a lot different because it's a group of churches that have come together that have agreed under a confession of faith. But therefore, because the confession of faith is what holds them together, the individual churches have a little bit more autonomy within what they choose, how to govern their church bodies mm-hmm. locally and how um, even just some of the decisions around what they would like, how they would operate mm-hmm. in their structure. Um I don't know. Am I am I off on that? Because that's no, what I'm right. picking up. Because you think about a denomination, uh, a denomination, a domination, a dom, a, de, a de, <laughs> whoa, eh? whoa. <laughs> uh, denomination has a lot more say in what each local church does, because like even some denominations are like, okay, yeah, now your pastor is being transferred to a different church, and you have no say because We're the that's just what we do. Like yeah. there's some. Like, so the Anglican church up here, it was kind of like, here's your new Anglican priest because that's how we run things, right? Like our conference doesn't do that. I wasn't sent here by, you know, Rob Thiessen, the conference head, who's like, now we're going to place you here. Yeah. Um, there, Like you said, there's a lot more autonomy between churches. So what, what kind of holds us together as churches is that, one, we're agreeing. We want to work together. And... Um, and then we have this statement of faith that has 18, you know, articles to it, which all the churches go, yeah, we really like this statement of faith. We agree with it. We yeah. can, we're going to submit ourselves right on to this yeah. theology. But even like Mike's question of like, you know, is there autonomy? Like how much there totally is. So I'll give you a few examples. Like, um, recently, you know, our church put out a paper that said, here's, uh, here's our position on, 
Um, women in leadership, basically. Can women be pastors? Can they be elders? What does the Bible say? Yeah. And our church specifically, uh, through the study of the word, we came to the conviction that the role of pastor and elder, God seems to reserve for, for men, like the authoritative preaching, everything else in the church is for men and women, including Bible studies, life groups, right? Fair game. Yeah. Um, our, our conference, like the MB conference, this was probably don't quote me, it's over 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, was like, as a conference, we're going to say uh, women can be pastors and elders, but we're going to let every church decide if they want to implement that or not. Yeah. So there you go. There's some autonomy, right? Because I know some people were like, wait, is the North Peace MB churches, are we going against what the conference said? Well, yeah. kind of, but not really. because It wasn't a directive. No, it was a statement. It wasn't every church, all 100 churches in BC that are a part of our conference must do this. They said, here's our position. Do with it as you will. And so, yeah, yeah probably 70% of the churches in BC, well, maybe 60 to 70, I don't know for sure, have women elders and pastors. And 30 to 40 are like, no, we feel conviction uh, that we're not going to do that. Yeah. And we all meet at the annual annual conference every year and we get along and we work together and we don't fight about it. Like, so there's just one example, right? Of yeah. A certain amount of autonomy that each church has. Um, even if you read, cause this comes up in our baptism and membership class. If you read the statement of faith, it's, uh, it's got 18 articles, but it's also vague enough to allow differences of opinion so yeah. for instance christ's final triumph so this is about eschatology the end of the world basically um the synopsis is we believe that our lord jesus christ will return visibly and triumphantly at the end of the present age the church must always be prepared to meet the lord living in expectation of his imminent return and then it talks about you know death judgment new creation but i had someone was like but are is the mb conference premillennial post-millennial or all-millennial. <laughs> and I said, they don't care. Yeah, we believe Christ will return. So I know that there are some churches that hold to an all-millennial view. Um, I would be one of those pastors. There's some churches that hold to well, more of a pre-millennial, right? The rapture and then the judgment. Mm -hmm. and but our, our statement of faith just doesn't go into that detail because mm -hmm. it's like, we're not going to be that strict on what yeah. churches believe. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Other, other thoughts. Do you think that's a good thing? Or is that like, a, oh, it's too loosey-goosey? or I don't know. What, it, what are some of your thoughts on that? I think it could be both. I think there is challenge in... There is challenge when um, it's kind of like a franchisee owner-operator model <laughs> yes, where everyone has corporate uh, agreements, but then you know one location sells poutine when it's not on the menu. <laughs> but then everyone's associated with that the one the that... That is the best example. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> We're the Putin church for sure. <laughs> so there, there, there could be, I think more so in a community with several MB expressions. Sure. Um, yeah, I think of the the lower mainland where the MB church we went to did have a female uh, lead pastor, hmm. and another one didn't, and and that was a little confusing then. And I think it was more confusing because they were eight blocks away, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think there, yeah, there could be challenges with that model but it's obviously good too to be a part of a a larger collective having that support yeah. and still having the ability to yeah have your own convictions yeah so i i've seen it be good and bad so you know i've been a part of this conference for almost nine years eight and a half years and there's some good like you said there's like i like that there's autonomy to yeah for like, you know, corporate's not breathing down my neck. Like it's, it's nice to have a certain amount of autonomy and we can make decisions and do things. And I don't have to constantly be asking, you know, the conference leaders in Vancouver to blah, blah, right. It's just yeah. kind of like, just go make disciples. We trust you, you know, do a good job. Okay, great. Um, I, I, uh, even when I became a pastor in this, uh, conference, I had to fill out a big 60 page theological thing and i you know put there i'm complementarian i believe men and women have different roles and i remember in my interview in front of eight leaders they basically said okay we can respect that are you willing to work with people who disagree with you and i said yeah because for me this is not a salvation issue so yeah. when i go to the annual meetings with all the mb 
pastors and there's women pastors, I don't go <clears throat> and turn my nose up at them and you're not a real pastor. I just go, no, because it's not worth fighting about. So uh, that's really good. Uh, now, on the negative side, I'll give you a really recent example with COVID. Man, I wish I could just like blame the denomination yeah. and say, it's not up to me. They're right. the ones who made all the rules, right? It yeah. would have been a lot easier. And to be fair, I reached out to them for help going, what do you think? And they're kind of yeah. like, this is what we're recommending churches yeah. do, but we can't, we can't force you to do anything. So on one hand, I was like, man, I wish you could just force us to do something. But it was more because I want a scapegoat to be like, <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? So there is, there's pros and cons, I think. Um, and to just be fair, like we were talking about this before, you know, the, the conference does have authority. So you know, if a church all of a sudden is like, I'm going to support LGBTQ stuff, the conference doesn't go, well, we're, we have autonomy mm-hmm. like that. That has happened over the last three or four years. There's yeah. been several churches and the conference has said, we're kicking you out of the conference. Right. Because what you're doing goes against. Yeah. Our say. So it's not as if we're just so loosey goosey that anything goes. No, there's as a church you're agreeing to a certain thing so yeah if you go against that then you're out basically yeah i think like as someone who's younger than both of you guys and coming up into what like learning what church leadership is structured like and yep. and experiencing some of those things for the f- like first times so to speak in my life um like in a first person context not just hearing what my parents say about yeah. elders and stuff I think something that I really appreciate about that is it allows us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because of Yahweh, not because of what some elder is going to say per se. Um, So it's not that the elders don't have authority. Like as a member of the church, as someone who's on staff here, as pastoral staff, I would sure hope that you guys would come to me if I go off some wacky trail of theology and be like, Corlin, like what's going on? (laughs) But I would expect that from any brother in Christ, right? Um, Whereas, yeah, to not have the conference breathing down our backs, making sure that every single move is according to their, you know, Mm -hmm. checklist standard. I feel like it allows you to actually navigate what your faith is and what faith in in Jesus actually looks like instead of just checking off boxes. Mm -hmm. That's that's how I think of it, because I... Checking off boxes turns to religion really, really quick. It's not saying that it always does. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's... Well, not just I'm sure that makes it sound like there might not be. I know that there's Christians in denomination led churches, but I, for myself, having a list of boxes to check turns it very quickly into a list of do's and don'ts instead of, instead of actually a, a heartfelt service to yeah. Yahweh. So maybe rather than do's and don'ts, I view like that checklist almost like if you read the full confession of faith, there are, there are ideals to which we p- prescribe and ascribe to that one who is interested in this flavor of biblical worldview might want to consider because over the last couple years and in the last year and a half being a little more connected I've been particularly curious about individuals who would push against some of the fundamental ideals of the Mennonite conference sure to the point where I question like Okay, that's not a salvation issue we're talking about at all. Are you in the right church based on on those on that checklist of filters to say? That's fair. It's not a do and don't, but this collective of people have something to say about love and non-resistance. We're not maybe all pacifists, but we might say, yeah. is our Christian voice louder when we respect authority than when we disagree with authority? Because that's a f- fundamental element of what the Mennonite conference would say is just one of our, not our theology, but our stance. Yeah. 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 And so if that's not your stance, then that's fine. Yeah. But to insert yourself into a conference or a denomination and then say, well, this is not aligning with what I feel or think. My first question in the flesh would be like, well, maybe you picked the wrong one. (laughs) Like that's just a, not even a dig. It's just like, maybe you're just in the wrong flavor. Yeah, so I'll, I'll let's talk about that because Article 13 is the one that everyone always gets bent out of shape about, which is funny to me, which is fine. But yeah, it's called Love and Non-Resistance. It says, We believe that God in Christ reconciles people to himself and to one another, making peace through the cross. The church is a fellowship of redeemed people living by love. Our bond with other believers of Jesus transcends all racial, social, and national barriers. 
believers seek to be agents of reconciliation in all relationships, to practice love of enemies as taught by Christ, and to be peacemakers in all situations. We view violence in its many different forms as contradictory to the new nature of the Christian. We believe that the evil and inhumane nature of violence is contrary to the gospel of love and peace. Uh, in times of national conscription or war, we believe we're called to give alternative service where possible, alleviating suffering, reducing strife, and promoting justice are ways of demonstrating Christ's love. So this comes from our history, right? Because you know where we come from is from people who went, I think it's wrong to point a gun and kill someone. Yeah. And maybe they're a believer. Maybe they're my brother and sister in Christ and I'm murdering them. Like, yeah. I just feel wrong about that. Um, but it's funny because this usually comes up. People go, well, wait a second. Like, let's, let's play out what that means. So yep. we have police officers who are members. Mm -hmm. And they go, there's been times when I've had to shoot people Am I going against the, and so we've talked about it. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, um, no, because you're not specifically, we'll throw Kevin under the bus, right? Mm -hmm. He's a police officer who tends here. I'm like, Kevin, you don't go to work and put on a gun and then go, man, I can't wait to kill people today. I'm like, mm -hmm. you'd be a really bad cop if that's mm -hmm. what you did. And there's probably cops that do that, right? Because there are bad cops that exist. But I'm like, you're trained that that is the last resort, and sometimes to protect life, you need to do that. He kind of went, yeah. So yeah. He, he looked at Article 13 and said, yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Even though his job, yeah. He, yeah. I don't think he's ever actually killed anyone. But his job right. is that may be an option, right? So yeah. I think it depends on your mindset, right? He doesn't go to work going, man, I can't wait to shoot people today. No. Yeah. You go to work. A police officer, by and large, is a peacemaker. And I believe right? you can actually, I believe you can actually promote and defend justice but it is more difficult for those who claim to be a Christ follower sure, and more difficult for those who, who join an MB conference in the sense that we have to do it. I believe in a way that does not surrender or, or, or reduce the amount of love or care or attention we have for the person on the other side of the protest mm -hmm. or the other side of our convictions yes. or our faith or our, belief in jesus and so yeah. it's not to say we can't be upset or angry but we still are called not to sin and that's a particularly challenging yeah. thing to do when you join this church and when you join the body of Jesus. yeah followers. and it's funny because they yeah. changed the wording because years ago it used to be pacifism mm -hmm. and they changed the wording to love and non-resistance because pacifism gives the idea of i just lay down and let people walk all over me like right and so I asked them in my interviews as I was becoming a pastor, I said, like, so if someone broke into my house, would the confession of faith mean that I just pray for them as they murder my family? Or do I like violently defend my family? Right. Because yeah. as a father and as a husband, I would kill someone to protect my family. Right. Yeah. And they said, that's why we changed the wording yeah. <laughs> to love. And obviously <clears throat> the ideal is right. Sure. You're not going to kill someone, but you're also called to protect your family. Yeah. Right. So. And uh, just recently, we had a, a membership class, and there was a guy that was in it who really rests. I need to think about this because he's got family that fought in World War One and World mm -hmm. War II. Yeah. And he came back and said, love this church. Uh, I'll, I'll still attend. But he's like, I don't think I can become a member just because I don't feel right pretending that like I can agree with this when I just can't agree with number 13. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, fair yep. enough. Yep. I'm like, still, you're a brother in Christ. Like, mm -hmm. you just... Have a, you're going to still attend here and give and serve and yep. you just don't want to be a member because your convictions. I'm like, I actually prefer that rather than being like, fine, I'll become a member, even mm -hmm. though I really struggle with this. I'm like, yeah. you actually did the right thing, man. Like, yeah. So anyways, who knew what we we're going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Love and non-resistance. Any uh, last thoughts about the, the MB conference thing? And then we'll maybe talk about uh, elders and how the church runs. Or... No, I think uh, if... You've have you haven't had a chance to read the Confession of Faith. It is quite interesting. There's a of cool. course, a BC conference. Um, it's got a lot of great, yeah, conversation starters for some of these uh, totally points and conversations that Andrew would love to buy you lunch. And the other the last thing I'll say is uh, uh, when I joined the conference as a pastor, I it's interesting. It's like every I believe it's every five years. Out of the 100 churches in BC, they form like a committee and they read through the confession of faith and they go, okay, is the wording still accurate mm -hmm. or is it confusing? And that's why 
however many years ago, they changed number 13 from yeah. pacifism because they went, everyone is confused about what pacifism means. And that's actually not quite accurate to what we believe. Yeah. It's been a hundred years. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they're like, yeah, okay. Our ancestors 300 years ago were pacifists, but are we, t is it just a history thing or, and so they changed yeah. it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. I, and I went, I actually really like that because then, you know, they, they use the word that our confession of faith is a living document, which I'm like, okay, calm down. I get it. <laughs> but I'm like, I get that it's not set in stone. They go every five years. Let's look at it. And is there yeah. stuff that needs to be changed? Is there stuff that's confusing? Did we word it wrong? And I actually, I think that's actually really valuable. It's yep. funny that they would call that a living document that they change all the time. And they also call the Bible, the living word that they never change. <laughs> it never changes. <laughs> yeah. We mm. said it's living, but it's not living and active. <laughs> like, <laughs> Jeez. Church semantics. Church semantics. Yeah. Um, We're not okay. We're non <laughs> okay. What about elders? What are elders? What? Old people. Okay, Cortland. Had to Classic be said. Millennial. Had right? to be said. Yeah. <laughs> or like, why do or how do we run the church here? Uh, is it <laughs> Cortland's like? I right. like how you're looking at me. I'm, like, I'm not an elder. <laughs> um, or is it like? Is it? biblical is there so i'll tell you i'll give it a, a bit of a so my last church that i was at in maple ridge um we didn't have elders we had a church board much like mike was talking about and it's funny that he talked about that because that that is exactly what our church board was let's pick the wealthiest business owners because clearly they know how to run a business so clearly they would know how to run a church right yeah and it was you know whatever six to eight guys who were super wealthy and they were basically just like a, if you could think of a company, they were like a governance board. Right. And they didn't do elder things like church discipline and shepherding and preaching and teaching. They just, let's look at the budget. Let's look at, uh, and that's how, so the last church I was at for eight years, we didn't have elders at all. And I don't know, is that right or wrong? We come here and we have a board of elders. There's five of them and uh, Cameron's one of them. And then Don and myself and David sit on that board as pastors, but we would be non-voting elders. So there's all these like, mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, have you done any study biblically about elders and how we run things? Or is this kind of like, oh, I just assume this is what you do? Or <laughs> I was a part of a church in Langley who looked at their elder board a bit differently in that they, I think they tried to push away from the the business model and actually had more folks that were um, selected and then mentored and, and coached and also had some expertise in uh, not-for-profit because essentially churches are not businesses in that way. Sure. Shouldn't, sorry, shouldn't be uh, businesses in that way. <laughs> there shouldn't be a marketing director. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry if you have a marketing director. Jesus wasn't good enough <laughs> as a sales pitch. <laughs> Salvation. <laughs> when he sent the disciples out two by two, they had little pamphlets that he had made. <laughs> yes, go. little stone tablets. Little stone things. Dude, check out what. Uh... Go into all the world and cut grass in my name. Oh God. Um, but it was a model that I respected just because it looked as though the individuals in those roles were thoughtfully uh, curated and then prayerfully inserted into church leadership and had um actually more of a more of a model that you see in scripture in the sense of that like you said the prayer mentoring less of the business financial decision role mm -hmm. and up here i think we see both i it's been my experience in the last year and a half that there's been folks who've come who understood it are the role of the elder as hey i need some help in this way or yeah, here's some conflict that we're navigating. And then others who uh, thought that the elder board was a little more operational and, and it would be a little more discouraged when it, they found it was a little less operational sure. in the structure of... Um, Can you define what you mean by operational? Like So in general governance over any board in a not-for-profit, which a church is, a board is never operational. The board has one employee, which would be the lead executive director or in this case the pastor so essentially you would report to the board and then sure. everyone in the church staff would report to you as a bit of a hierarchical look at employment yeah but there are times where maybe someone feels that because 
Andrew has this, you know, field of, of, of support that that would also be extended and it just looks different. So, sure. yeah. so there's kind of two streams for the functionality, I believe, of an elders board where it is to provide guidance to the staff member of the board, but then one more prayerful and, and pastoral um, responsibility over everyone else. Although yeah. I can appreciate that those under you, for example, might feel like, well, I would like that also from the board in a sense sure. of yep. to be my warm and uh, welcoming employer, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah, it's funny. So I've, I've, I've had conversations with people who were like, you know, the way certain aspects of how we run things is not biblical and the, the, and I'm like, okay, I disagree that you're saying it's not biblical. We live 2000 years later from when this was written and our world is vastly different. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things that as a church, we live in a society that has rules around employees and, and you just have to, you just have to live by those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think you can still be biblical as a church and as you have elders and you still can, for lack of a better term, jump through the hoops of society so that we just live at peace with people. Right. So, um, let me just give a few things. So the Bible talks all over the place in the new Testament about churches having a plurality of elders. So not just one elder well, not one pastor that runs everything. Mm -hmm. There's always, there's always, it's always plural language. Like, um, Acts eleven thirty it talks about send money to the elders because of the famine. In Acts fourteen it says elders were appointed in every church with prayer and fasting. Uh, in Acts fifteen the Jerusalem Council remember they just they meet to decide what do we do about Gentiles and circumcision and it says that there was apostles and elders gathered together. So there's all of these leaders. Um, Philippians 1, Paul writes the letter of Philippians to the overseers, which is the word for elders, and deacons, plural. Uh, Hebrews 13, it says, obey your leaders, plural, right? Submit to them. They keep watch over your soul. Um, James 5, if anyone's sick, call for the elders of the church. So you'll see that that's really important because some churches operate with like, we just have one main guy and he runs everything. And it's like, well, I think biblically it's meant to be a team. Yeah. And the word elder and overseer uh, and pastor, biblically, uh, it's the same word, episkopos, which is um, bishop, which is where we get the word bishop from, which we don't call mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not a bishop Cameron. As you sit on the bishop's board, it's like, no, uh, it's the word elder and overseer. And so um, it, it's used inter- interchangeably, pastor and elder throughout the church, uh, throughout, sorry, throughout the New Testament. And so I've, the way I've heard it explained, and I really appreciate it, is that elders are uh, pastors, shepherds, and um, their, their main role of an elder is to take care of the church members, right? Mm-hmm. They shepherd them. They just don't get paid to do it. So, so elders are unpaid pastors, yeah. and pastors are basically paid elders. And that's how I've, in my mind, mm-hmm. come to understand it. Okay, yeah, like... So if anyone would ask, okay, you're on the elders board, are you an elder? I'm like, technically, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just, my title is pastor because I'm paid to do this. Yeah. Right? Cam Cam has a full-time job. He does, he volunteers <laughs> to be an elder, right? But much of our job is the same, right? Like we shepherd people, we care for them, we uh, were involved in the in the vision and the direction of the church. Um, I don't know thoughts. Yeah, I feel like in our day and age, we, I mean, it's been like this for thousands of years, so it's not just our day and age, but I feel like uh, there's been an uprise in the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years about like, oh, we don't trust authorities in general. I don't get that. Um, My eyes are rolling. (laughs) Um, So I, I guess like my, I don't know, we've talked a little bit about elders having like uh, the ability to pastor the the flock and stuff like that. But what does that practically look like? Cause I feel like, I don't know from, from comments I've heard or from things that I've heard, like some people have been attending the church for X amount of years and they're like, I don't even know who the elders are. Like, totally. I don't know. I, there's part of me that's like, well, that's not really either party's only fault. Like sure. there's two parties at play there. Uh, maybe ask, maybe, you know, meet them. But like what, I guess where I'm going with this question to get it pointed is like, what 
what specifically do the elders do? Like, what does their role actually look like for you, Cameron? Not most people understand what you do, Andrew. Most people. Yeah. Um, the elders are still trying to figure. I work yeah. two hours on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, that's right. But like for you, Cameron, when you come to an elders meeting, like what what would you guys be? What kind of things do you meet about? How is that structured? How does that then play out into the church? Yeah, I think I thought through a, a really good metaphor early when I was. Um, Early in this role, I was given just some material, and one analogy that came to me, it's almost like if you're thinking of shepherding the herd and the whole metaphor, it's like there could be sheep in the middle of that herd that never really experienced the, the help of the shepherd or the, the sure. guidance of that because hmm. because that shepherd is um, positioned to kind of, it's almost for the outliers, almost to ensure that the collective herd is moving in the right direction. and safe direction. Yep. And I thought of that, and I felt... I've seen it played out in that I guess an average um, couple weeks would be we have um, interactions with our moderator. So the moderator is Carl Reimer. Yep. He'll actually send um, most of the communication through email of things that have come in. So we have our secret little elder thread, the non-paid elder thread, (laughs) which, (laughs) and these are like everything from someone saying, uh, you know, I've been asked for uh, prayer from this individual. They've asked me to bring it to you guys. Here's the situation. We've done that outside of elder meetings, but every elder meeting in the church when we're physically here starts with about half an hour to 45 minutes of prayerful concerns as specific as an individual's request all the way up to, you know, this family has reached out and they've put their confidence in this group for prayer. We've had individuals invited to the church for prayer. So that first section is very practical and very much um, looking, you know, for lack of better words, at the outliers to say, are there, are there sheep that need need encouragement, need material assistance, Mm -hmm. need support? And then it moves into the very practical, boring uh, here, uh, agenda items of like, here are some requests from different groups on material they'd like to review. It could be yeah, supplies that are needed that are go beyond a budgetary uh, thing. We have a member who is a part of the finance committee, so they would report back. Yeah, yeah, so probably about 12 years ago, the elders board here did everything. So there was no missions committee. There was no finance committee. There was no stewardship. That, that was the elders board. They mm-hmm. literally did everything. And they finally said, we're actually not, we're so bogged down with like, you know, renovating that wall that has a drywall need or whatever, right? Yeah. It's like, why are we talking about that? And so they basically made these different teams. They said, okay, now we have a stewardship team that's going to look after money. Now we're going to have a missions team that takes care of all of our missionaries and blah, blah, blah. And now we're going to have a, a, a building team uh, that takes care of the building. And the one guy said, now we can eld. He used it as like a (laughs) verb. Now we can eld. We want to do more spiritual oversight of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, those those other teams still report to the elders. Yeah. Right? Because I think in 1 Peter 5, one of the things that uh, Peter says is that elders exercise oversight. And it's the Greek word episkopuntes, which is where episkopo, overseer, so we, we oversee the church, basically. We yeah. exercise oversight, but it's not as if we're like our fingers are in everything. Nothing can happen unless we I, say so. Yeah, I think the term oversight is good because it, it implies that you are, just as it says, overseeing things, yeah. but you're not micromanaging, right? So, yeah, you're not going steward, in and so adjusting every little thing. The stewardship team prepares a budget for our AGM, and they prayerfully go, okay, you know, we're going to, by faith, create a million dollar budget that includes everything Corlin's salary my salary benefits includes buying resources blah, blah 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 and then they come to the elders and they say this is what we've prayerfully put together can you please look it over can you oversee it yeah essentially yeah and so the elders look at it and sometimes very rarely because we trust our stewardship team but sometimes we go uh I don't, I'm trying to think of an example of when we've said, I don't know if we should. Well, it could happen that you guys would see something yeah, and be like, I, I can't don't think of I don't an know. example, but I know it has happened where we go, ooh, man, that's a lot of money. Maybe we, we don't or spend. Or there's just other questions that you. Sure. Like, 
for a more full rationale. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. part of the like oversight. So I agree with Cam. Like one of the, I, I was going to read in our membership covenant that all members sign. It's it kind of lays out. Here is I will say what the ideal is of what our elders sure. do. So one, um, they appoint elders. So elders appoint elders, which I'll get to in a minute, including staff members. Um, prayerfully seek God's will for the church community. Uh, steward her resources to the best of our ability. Um, care for the church. Seek the church's growth in grace, truth, and love. Provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture. Equip members of the church for the work of ministry. Be on guard against false teachers and teachings. To lovingly exercise discipline when necessary for the glory of God, the good of the one discipline, the health of the church. To set an example and join members in fulfilling the obligations of church membership. So a couple of things like um, the the elders seek God's will for our church community. Like a few weekends ago, we literally had a weekend planning going, okay, what is our vision for North Peace MB? Yeah. Is, what is God calling us to do? Is our vision the same as it was eight years ago or yeah. is God? So that's one of the big things that these elders do. We say, you know, uh, God, what do you want us to do? And so we prayerfully seek God's will for the direction of the church. Um, church discipline. So there's been a handful of times in my years here when someone is caught in unrepentant sin and we've had to go through the Matthew 18 and, uh, you know, someone's gone to them. They didn't listen. Two people went, they didn't listen. So then they come to the elders board and we have to, uh, exercise church discipline, meaning you're not going to be a member here anymore. Um, we're not going, you, you can't take communion anymore. Uh, and we're going to treat you like an unbeliever. You're welcome to attend, but you're not, we're treating you like you're not a believer, right? Yeah. Usually it never gets to that stage because either the person repents or they just leave mad and they never come back, <laughs> unfortunately. So that's one thing yeah. that the elders do. Like, I think also the most, um, relevant and challenging time has been over the last 18 months of COVID, the final 18 months of COVID. Yeah. And, really navigating hard decisions that impacted the church totally with six of us at the time five and then andrew like there was probably four almost every meeting four differing opinions at the beginning of the meeting yeah and some of them were three hours (laughs) well well into grocery stores are closed and the wife's asking when you coming home but those conversations were quite interesting because they were first done with love and respect and even in disagreement and we would not leave the room until we had settled on not by settled on on a unified front that we prayerfully considered and actually felt peace with at the end yeah and some of those took a couple meetings and then a few corresponding emails and carl was really gracious and encouraging in those early days of saying like you know don't respond right now or emailing follow-ups later saying you know think about this pray about it and i i really appreciated coming back and seeing how God would like soften or encourage or strengthen someone's advocacy for a certain point of view, because the role then was to look at the world as it evolves today, the world as it was written in scripture and try to mm-hmm. mirror that in the best reflection of how we should do church yeah. today, mm-hmm. which is not a perfect science. But what's beautiful about that is that if these leaders can agree and find peace there, then our job would be then to, display that for the church in a way that says you may not agree maybe i don't either but you'll never see that you'll see a unified brotherly front that is based first in love and then second in reason that is done respectfully so those have been really challenging but fruitful yeah and from someone who's sitting on like because i don't have that full sit uh like my seat would be someone coming to the elders board, not sure. playing as an elder. Yeah. I think it's important to, to recognize too, that when you say you won't see that, you'll see the front of unified. It's not that that's a mask. I mean, there may be elements in our humanity where we, we don't perfectly convey that unity. Um, and so then there is maybe an essence of like having to put on the wooden hand to shake someone else's hand type thing. Uh, but I think that it's important to make sure that it's clarified that that, that, front is not one of deception it's one out of a genuine heart from each one of the elders that they want to serve this body of christ well they want to honor god they want to honor the body um and so it's not to say it's not it's not uh it's actually really healthy for a group of men to disagree so let's say 
I'm going to use a hypothetical, but it's not really hypothetical. Uh, <laughs> you know, day. so it's kind of like, you know, wearing masks in church when we had to make that decision. Are we going to force it? Are we not? There were differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. We should force it. We should remind people every Sunday. And then others who were like, we should not enforce it at all. Yeah. And so we came to the conclusion that we're not going to, we're not going to ever kick people out of the church because they wouldn't wear a mask. We're going to have them at the doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, as leaders, we're going to do our best to wear our masks. And we didn't leave with everyone going like, uh, fine, but I'm going to go talk about this with my friends and say that I didn't agree. It was, okay, for the sake of unity in the church, I can totally agree with this. Yeah. And I can lay aside my preference. And even if I wanted to enforce masks and we're not, okay. And if yeah. people ask me, how do you really feel? This is how I really feel. I yeah. am submitting myself to the joint collective. So yeah. but you're right, how, though. But some people might go, well, that's not you being honest and integrity. Uh, but that's no, how human nature is. I mean, that's how uni- like parents respond to their children. Totally. When they do something bad, you might think it's hilarious. But you try not to laugh in front <laughs> of them. So they learn that what they did is inappropriate. Yeah. I was recently referred to in the course of my employment as fake because the individual said that that's not how he really feels but he treated me so nicely and, and i not no good joke face and palm thinking that's what professionalism is called yeah where we could have conflict but i'm going to treat you well yeah i actually yeah. think it's a yeah. sign of of uh, immaturity if you would sit in a meeting and be like i disagree and and then you come to some kind of conclusion and then you leave and go yeah, this is what they said, but I disagree. And blah, blah, blah. It's actually a sign of spiritual maturity when you can go, for the sake of unity, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Like, I can yeah. actually submit myself, and, right? Like, and there may be times, uh, I, don't, I don't know what all happened on the board with uh, COVID and whatnot, yeah. but there may be times where it is a big enough deal to someone that they would maybe step back or step down and sure, say, yeah. I, I don't feel like in my good conscience and, and you know, with my convictions that God has given me, I don't feel that yep. I can actually stand here and support this. And that's okay too. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's not to say that it, because you're in that position that you're stuck there, but I, I agree with you, Cameron, there is that um, to project the unity that is there. It's important then to submit yourself to the, the governing authority, if that yeah, makes totally. sense. And that's not, we really struggle with that, but I think that it's um, one right. of the things that I've consistently come back to, uh, as a finishing thought for myself is that I, <laughs> that's not what I was gesturing. Oh, I just, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, is it like, I wrap it up. Corlin. No, <laughs> I look at the board. I look at who the people have elected as board members. Yes. The board comes forward with people to say, Hey, I think this person would make a good member of the board or of the board of elders. Um, and I, I trust their decisions. If I have questions, then I would say that it is up to me to go and ask those questions. And yeah. I, I personally am of the conviction that I can disagree with the elders decision on something and still be a faithful attendant and, and continue to work with the church. Um, because some of these matters are just not salvation issues. Doesn't mean that we can't be passionate about them. Doesn't mean that we can't have differing of opinions or even more and more conversations about them. Um, but I, for me personally, I can recognize that the conversations that I have might not actually change things to be the way that I yeah. want them to, and that's okay. Well, I can continue. Like waiting to. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, but I think you're right that there is uh, the world that we live in is very anti-authority for everything, and I think COVID especially just bubbled that to the surface of like I don't trust anyone in leadership. Everyone is corrupt, and then that unfortunately bleeds into the church. Where it's like, I just don't trust our elders. I don't trust. Another, I'm not sorry. I don't, I'm not saying like our church. Specific, I yes. Mean the church. You yep. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, people who who do do really dumb, stupid things. And that then yep. it's like we throw all leadership out with the bathwater because it's like, see that church down there or whatever had elders that were corrupt. So that means that we don't trust anyone. And so there is this anti-authority in our culture where it's like uh, I, I had a conversation with someone where it was like, I'm not going to trust leadership unless they earn my trust. And I'm like, well, unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. Yeah. The Bible says you respect and you, you obey and you submit 
because God's appointed these people. Now, again, you can get into all these caveats. Yep. That doesn't mean that you blindly, they're asking you to sin and you say, I guess I should submit to you. No, of course not. Yep. But the Bible talks about like showing honor to the elders that are governing the church to submit to them because they actually care for your soul. Like they're, yeah. they're guarding you. Um, so there is this like, Yes, submit to the elders. Even me as a pastor, I submit to the elders because, yeah. and there's been times when they've made decisions that personally I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. But I go, I honor these guys who God's appointed here. Okay. Yeah. Like now, if the elders were like, we think that you should sleep around it or whatever, some stupid thing, like, of course I'd be like, no, yeah. I can't submit to that. Yeah. And that's why I think they'll, I, I don't know if there'll be someone that leaves frustrated be, based on strong convictions because the, the vetting process to become an elder yep. is so thorough in that you have to align with all salvation principles. Yeah. And so sure. then in some of these moments of conversational conflict, it's never a salvation yeah. issue. Yep. So yeah. then for you to leave based on strong convictions, that would be more concerned. Like, wait a minute, like don't run away. It's a hard conversation. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, and we'll arrive on each side of it, but neither side will say non-salvation. Yep. yep. So I think when that is the, the position, the foundation that you begin with, um, it just makes for a good constructive, uh, way forward. Yeah. And then I think lastly to just end is, um, so right now we have five elders for 500 people. So I've heard people say like, you know, we never, what are our elders doing? We don't have enough elders. That's just the truth, right? Yeah. The church, our side size needs double the elders that we have. And so that's why, some people might say, I don't even know who our elders are. Yeah, because they're really busy trying to shepherd so many people, Yeah, right? And so this is a constant problem because we, we, you know, the, the, we didn't even get into the qualifications for elder, First Timothy uh, 3 and Titus 1. Yeah. But um, we approach men who we go, we think that you are a godly man and you lead well. And, and lots of times it's like, nah, I don't want to do that. It's really hard to find elders because it's a really hard job that is often thankless and you don't get paid for it. <laughs> so that I would say that it's not to be an excuse, but even at our last membership class, someone said, yeah. okay, how exactly are the elders shepherding? Cause I don't see it. And I, and I tried to explain like, yeah. I, okay, you might not see it, but there's, you know, 500 people who come here and there's five elders. So, and, and they, like they Cameron might, they might be shepherding. 25% of the flock trying to, and yeah. yeah, I agree. We need more elders. So if you're listening <laughs> and you're a man who loves Jesus and leads his family well, and please come talk to us. Cause I, I would love to have 10 elders. Uh, I think yeah. that would be way better for the size of church we have. Anyways, we got like super into the weeds of church governance. And mm -hmm. so hopefully that was actually interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I feel like it's helpful to know because a lot of people come into the church and they just hear these titles, hear the names, and they don't ever think much of it. Or totally. if they do, they don't know where to go to ask questions about it without yep. maybe feeling like they're intruding on some secret committee type thing. Yes, there is a handshake. So, yeah, and then yeah. <laughs> we have to cut our hands and do a blood oath. And No, I'm just kidding. That's We're not a cult. Uh, Yet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So thanks for listening. If you do have follow-up questions, you can always, for real, uh, I think Cameron mentioned that, come talk to Andrew. Mm -hmm. But for real, if you're like, I'm confused about what, just please reach out and we'd love to answer questions. Uh, but this has been episode 102 and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>